Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining Podcasts. Society-13.com I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. The lift is created and shared for free, but there are hard costs associated with its production. To lend your support to the show, please visit support.victoriaslift.com. Supporters of the show get new episodes a few days early, and at $5 a month, you'll get access to behind-the-scenes artwork and bonus audio. Support the show you love at support.victoriaslift.com. Hi, this is Daniel Foytek, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift, Nine Ways to Die. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at ninthstory.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. Today's episode of The Lift features the voice talents of David Alt, Cynthia Lohman, Amber Collins, and yours truly. I have lost so much. My name is Victoria. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Victoria was adapting quickly to her new situation. After Mr. Tesla had repaired her music box, she began to realize that it was speaking to her. Well, that wasn't exactly right, but it was communicating with her somehow. She considered this as she walked down the hallway to her library. The box wasn't using words or even images more like ideas and feelings. But she found the more closely she listened to its music, the easier it was to understand. She wasn't sure if it had been whispering to her all along, since that day she first saw it in Merritt's room, or if it was only because of what she had become that it started to tell her things. It was probably a bit of both, she decided. Being able to talk to it helped, though, at least a little, with those times she felt lonely or frightened. Fear was more of a habit than a necessity now, but she still felt its icy fingers on her spine from time to time. So what are we doing today? She asked her music box. Some grand new adventure? The music box was silent, 
but she nonetheless got the sense that it was leading her to something. Oh, fine. Be that way. She said with a huff and continued along down the dim hall. Something brushed past her, and she understood she wasn't alone. A familiar presence drifted along just in front of her. She chewed at her lip and sighed. (sighs) Since Mr. Tesla had confronted the dark and merit, she was now mostly alone. But neither was fully gone from this place. It was as if they had shifted, as if they were now somehow here and someplace else at the same time. Part of this world and part of another darker one. She reached the doors to her library without further incident and reached out for the huge brass door pulls. That the huge heavy doors opened with so gentle a pull still amazed her as much as it had when she first found the library a few weeks ago. She stood for a moment, dwarfed by the doors, and stared at a room larger than any she had ever seen. A room bursting with books, more than she could imagine ever reading in a lifetime. Hmm. Well, if you say so, she said to the music box, which had assured her that she had more time than she yet understood. She entered the library, and the doors closed silently behind her. She strode forward, her Mary Janes echoing in the vast space. The odd thing about this place... Actually, everything was odd about this place, she conceded. The oddest thing was that it seemed to change constantly. Shelves... Rows of filing cabinets, scrolls, and huge, dusty volumes would show up where none had been, making it an ever-changing maze with only her music box to guide her. All of this she took in stride, but the way some of the books flickered and faded, even as she reached for them, was foot-stompingly frustrating. She continued to walk along, her music box tinkling merrily as it guided her, Before long, she came to a small table that almost seemed to have been put there just for her. The chair was small, the table low, and it had a triple pile of books laid out upon it. Off to the side of the books sat a steaming pot of tea, a pretty little cup and saucer, a bowl of sugar cubes with fancy tongs, and a silver tray nearly overflowing with biscuits and cakes. She set her music box on the table and clapped her hands. Oh, is this for me? She looked around with a smile and giggled. (laughs) Well, I don't see anyone else here, so this must be for me. After she had fixed herself a cup Mm -hmm. and eaten a few of her favorite cakes, she reached for one of the leather-bound books on Mm -hmm. the table and opened it. All books had their own smell, (laughs) she had noticed, and this Mm -hmm. one smelled of sun and dust, and a bit of iron. I do hope it's a good story, she said to her music box, swallowing the last little nibble of biscuit. What a lovely biscuit. Her hands froze, and her breath came in a shallow gasp (gasps) as she recognized the handwriting. Journal of William Earl Bigglesworth Hayes, 1st of March, 1867, Nebraska, USA. I've come to accept the truth of the matter, that despite the seeming impossibility of it, I find myself in the 
effective today, state of Nebraska in the American frontier. I will say, as a fan of the period and one who has enjoyed reading of the exploits of our new president, Teddy Roosevelt, I find the romanticism of this period and of the frontier in general greatly exaggerated. The smell alone is enough to put one off solid food for more than a few days. I've been in residence in Omaha City for nearly 21 days now. I fear that there are some here who will always consider me to be quite strange based on my behavior immediately upon arriving and for a goodly time afterwards. I'd challenge most to handle a transition from 1901 to 1867 in stride, especially coming as it does on the heels of a tragic event I'm not yet ready to put down here. All I'll say for now is that I was too late to save my children from the disaster. I fear they may have suffered a fate similar to my own, perhaps worse. Finding myself here many years before those events will have occurred could be a boon. Perhaps I can affect things for the better and use it as an opportunity to change my past while it's still in the future. <laughs> How difficult it is to find the proper tense in this situation. A bit maddening, actually. For the last few weeks, I've busied myself with adapting to my situation and earning my keep. I've been able to set myself up as a tinker in the local hardware. Not only will this keep me fed and lodged, but I will have access to useful tools and materials. A P.S. It has also occurred to me after a bit of calculation that our new president is, as of this writing, only nine years old. The same age as my dear Victoria. <laughs> this is all terribly odd. W.E. Bigglesworth Hayes Victoria set the volume down and closed her eyes. Tears rolled down her cheeks and fell onto the page, smearing the writing. Her father was somewhere lost to her in time, but at least he had survived. She looked down at the page she had been reading, just in time to see it fade from the book. She slapped her small hand down on the page as if she could fix it in place, but it was gone. The same thing sometimes happened to other books she read here, and she understood what it meant. Once she read an entry, it was a set event. It couldn't be changed. Here, in this library, the books were those that had never been written, or had been lost, still unwritten, or written in some other version of her world. The fact that there were nine journals before her was no guarantee her father had actually written them, just that he had intended to write them. She looked at them with a tiny worm of sickness wiggling its way into her stomach. She wondered if that meant he had only lived long enough to write those nine, or was it perhaps even worse? That first day she read several pages, but the limited number of pages per volume made her uneasy. Perhaps it was best to savor them. It wasn't like she could go back and read them again. And so, Victoria began to ration herself. A difficult task for a girl so young who missed her father so much. Initially, each day she read another page, but by the time she had made it halfway through the second volume, 
she decided to wait longer between visits to that part of the library. Despite her overwhelming desire to devour every page immediately. Waiting eventually became easier because after a time, they started to come. The visitors to the building, showing up at odd intervals in need of someone to guide them. This filled her time and she actually looked forward to her interactions with most of these people. Most but not all. Some found making the right choice inordinately difficult, despite how hard she tried to help them see it. And those were the ones who remained, awaiting a transformation. Victoria hoped they would understand, but she was only allowed to do so much. She had her own rules to follow after all. But even though the months and years passed, she never missed an opportunity to read the journals. As time went on, she approached each page with trepidation, joy, and sadness. How can I feel so many things at the same time? She asked her music box. She shook her head at the response. You're mistaken. I'm not growing up at all, she said. She took a fresh biscuit and nibbled as she opened her father's third journal. 11th of July, 1872. En route to Chicago, USA. I am on my way to Pittsburgh via Chicago to survey the site that will eventually become the building, our home. I am traveling via Chicago and Northwestern Railroad, and if the conductor is to be believed, I should arrive just past 9 p.m., I have been assured this includes the time required for coal and water, as well as required locomotive changes. <laughs> to be able to travel nearly 500 miles in under 14 hours is quite impressive. I've arranged for lodging with a member of the association known to me. I've kept the details of my journey as vague as possible, but Professor Williams is as inquisitive now as he will be when I meet him in the future. For now, he's accepted my word that there are reasons I shan't provide additional details until we stand face to face and behind closed doors. It will be quite odd indeed to meet him as a younger man, but I feel he is one of the few members I can trust with the truth of the matter. I'll need his assistance before this is all over, as well as access to documents and books I dare not mention in these pages. I've made drawings of the of the device as best I can recall from memory. What's odd is that some of these drawings remind me very much of others I saw once I came to discover what it really was, so much so that I wonder if the drawings I saw in my future past might have been made by my own hand. <laughs> How queer that would be. I curse myself anew for failing to understand its true purpose sooner. It was always central to the frequent animosity between good merit and sweet Victoria, which should have been the first clue. How naive I've been. How miserably I've failed in my duties as their father. I made great haste to home on that fateful day, but it was too late. Despite being stranded far from them in both time and place, I am not helpless. I am armed with knowledge and determination, but most importantly, righteousness, 
which I feel must be why I have been given this opportunity to right this situation. I am confident I cannot fail. W.E. Bigglesworth Hayes Victoria's stomach tightened, and she chewed her lip. She had read many, many stories over the last couple of centuries, and rarely did such bold statements work out well for the characters in the pages of those tales. Her father was a confident man with deeply held beliefs of his time. It made her nervous, so she broke her one entry per sitting rule and read on. 13th of July, 1872, Chicago, USA. My time with Professor C.R. Williams, or Charles as he insists I call him, since at present I am actually nearly three years his senior, was well spent. Initially, I had intended to leave yesterday afternoon for Pittsburgh on the PFWNC, but Charles's excitement and helpfulness knew no bounds once I had convinced him of the situation and the reason for my journey. We will soon have diagrams and information about the device. If fortune smiles upon us, we might even manage to locate the device itself. Both of us fear tampering overly with events, but perhaps we can find a way to hobble it. Neither of us said the obvious, that while 29 years is not so long, and 69 is an age many I know have lived beyond, many things could happen to prevent me from living long enough to intervene directly on the day that shall one day come. It is therefore important that we have a plan in place to deal with that eventuality. Williams is to wait for my return, at which time we will have a longer visit and spend some additional time in discussion and research. He has offered to allow me to reside with him, but I am not certain if I will take him up on his kind offer. It seems to me too much an imposition, not to mention my unnatural presence in this time might have less impact if I return to a less populated area. However, it would give me ready access to much more information, and the workshop he has built on his property is first-rate, which would indeed be useful. I find myself fatigued in the extreme. Long hours of discussion, much reading, and <laughs> better food than I have had access to in quite some time have combined with the motion of the train to make me quite drowsy. W.E. Bigglesworth Hayes Victoria felt better after reading her father was with a friend and seemed to be in good spirits. She still fretted, but she felt calmed by his last entry. So, she carried on, spending time with those who came and she who taught her. But mostly, she was alone, save for her music box. The solitude and the interactions with those lost souls who came to her building changed her more than anything. She was, she knew, still a child, and it seemed she was destined to forever be. But she was also wise in ways no other child had ever become. Her sense of humor, her delight in learning, and the playfulness of childhood remained and sustained her. She returned to her library often, exploring and gaining understanding, especially after finding, quite by accident, down an oddly shaped series of hallways, more of a labyrinth, really, a fair-sized room of deepest crimson, like the cells in a beehive 
The room had six walls, but instead of honey, it contained the most comfortable Davenport and books that helped her make sense of many others. It was a room she knew her father would have loved. Surely not, Victoria said to her music box. The box played something that sounded very much like Joplin's maple leaf rag. No, she said as she pressed the nine button and waited for the lift doors to close. In fact, you're not always right. I recall at least three situations where you gave me information that later proved to be incorrect. The gears of the box wound and clattered. An example? How about just now? You said Billy and Toby were going to be fine and learn from their first visit to the building. The box made a tortured twang. No, that's not a technicality, Victoria huffed as the door slid open. I do love you, but you can be very frustrating. She made her way to the library, sat before the remaining journals, and opened the one on the top of the small pile, number six. She looked at the remaining three and fidgeted in her chair. Then she returned her attention back to the journal in her hands. 1st of August, 1881, Pittsburgh, USA. I've returned from New York today after spending the better part of a month in England, Scotland and Wales. I have come back empty-handed and sorely disappointed. I suspect I should by now accept that we are, by design, fate or poor luck, not meant to locate the device before it makes its way to our family apartment, but I'll continue trying regardless. A package was waiting for me at the Greenwood upon my arrival today. It contained the final component for the device Charles and I have been working on so diligently over the last few years. It is now complete, and the timing is right. When I passed the property yesterday, they had just started digging for the old, scratch that, new well. The good news is I know from the groundskeeper who will work there when we move into the building that the well was dug in 1881 and will remain in active use until just after the building is completed. I'll be joining the crew tomorrow to assist with the digging which will give me an opportunity to place the hobble. The ground there contains a significant amount of quartz which will amplify the effect as long as the two are kept separate. Williams was concerned about this since neither of us know how close to the wellhouse the children might go with the box. I worry too, but I, I think the risk is acceptable since the box will spend most of its time on the ninth story. And as we have discovered, there would have to be so many factors that would have to occur at just the right time that it's, it's nearly impossible to conceive of it occurring. The device would need to be activated by a very specific tone the two would need to not only be close to each other, but said approach must be very rapid and someone would have to forcibly hold the lid of the box closed. In my opinion, this means there is little danger of a proximity effect which would be utterly catastrophic. W.E. Biggleswith Hayes Finally, the day had come. Only the last page of the last volume remained and it made Victoria exceedingly nervous. All the night before, Victoria fretted and found excuses to avoid the ninth floor. 
It had been a long time since her plummet down the elevator shaft. A long time since she had become broken. She felt something very similar to the ominous tingle she had on that day so long ago, when all she had wanted to do was get that one note right. Of course, now she knew why she had never been able to. The box hadn't wanted her to. It was trying to protect her, as it always had. The fact that it had failed was her own fault, she knew her own stubborn inability to choose well. She rode the lift in silence and exited just as silently when the door slid open. You'll need my help, Merritt said. The last thing I need is more of your help. Suit yourself, dear sister. But I know more than you do about this. Victoria ignored him and moved toward her library. Victoria entered the library and sat at her table. The last entry she had read was of her father's return to Nebraska in his shop. She opened the journal. 9th of September, 1890. Nebraska, USA. Dearest Victoria, I pray you are not reading this, for if you are, you carry, I know, a heavy burden. I have failed. Failed to make it to you before the events that resulted in the accident. Failed to prevent the accident despite being given a second chance to do so. And failed to prevent you from being burdened with something I never wanted for you. There is a book. One you will eventually find, I'm sure, one that reveals many secrets and truths about one who will become the guide. I fear this is you. Time is short for me, but long for you. Be strong. Be kind. Be good to those who find you and seek your guidance and compassion. But be strong when they refuse it, for not all will want, deserve, or accept redemption. You will know the difference, because you are the best of me and the best of your mother. But you are more than that. You are unique and special. And above all, you are loved. Father. Just before the page faded to nothing, she saw the crimson spot that could only be blood. The library was preternaturally quiet as Victoria rose and strode through the library with eyes that glistened with unshed tears and blazed with green fire. The doors opened before her without a hand being laid upon them. Come along, Merritt, she said as she made her way toward the lift. You are the gate, and I have one that I need to have opened. One I'm not allowed to open on my own. Or at all, really. The day was dusty and hot as Victoria stepped out of the lift and looked around. 
She sneezed and adjusted her white cowboy hat and the tin star pinned to her vest. Take me to him, she said to the music box. So guided, it took little time to find the man who had shot her father. She waited impatiently at the end of the hallway in the saloon, listening to people laughing and carousing. When the man she wanted finally approached, she opened the door to his room and went inside. Logan Watson had lost his last hand and decided he had given away more than enough coin for one night. Swaggering slightly from the cheap whiskey and sour beer, he tromped down the hall to his room when he spotted an unusual sight. A small girl, dressed as if she was playing at being sheriff, had just slipped into his room. Logan stopped in the hallway and stared. He took off his hat and narrowed his eyes. Hey! Who the hell are you? I saw you slip into my room. I'm gonna whoop your ass, you little thief. He stomped down the hall and barreled through the door. When the door opened, he found himself in a very small room. Or small in comparison to him. One that was moving. Before him stood a small girl dressed in an outfit that looked like something worn by every lawman he'd ever seen. Who the hell? What is this? Hello, my name is Victoria. She said flatly. And this is my lift. I'm in charge here. I don't understand. You will. You let me out of this box. Oh, I will. As soon as we get to the floor you're going to. Just be glad you met me now. If you had met me a few hundred years ago, I'd have pressed that button. She said indicating a small white circle marked with the letter B. Instead of this one. She pointed to a button that blazed green, marked with a numeral five. The elevator came to a lurching stop, and the door slid open with a ding. You will exit the elevator and walk through that door now, Victoria commanded, pointing to the third door to the left. He backed out of the elevator and looked over his shoulder at the door. What's in there? What's going to happen to me? You, Logan Jacob Watson, are a foolish, irresponsible child who understands nothing of how his actions affect those around him. Like all children, he must be taught. What are you going to do to me? (laughs) Me, Victoria said, her face smooth, eyes blazing with green fire that lit up the entire building. I'm not going to do anything to you. You're going to do it yourself. I have a tremendous imagination, but even I would never be able to come up with anything quite so terrible as what you keep hidden away deep inside yourself, where even you fear to look. I'm just going to help you make it real. Victoria stood considering him, and the choice she was making. She looked at him with ancient eyes that had seen centuries come and go. The mask of the child fell away, the one she always kept in place. And she did something she had never done before. She stood before him and let him see her for what she truly was, an eternal 
He shrank from her as she smiled sweetly, putting on the sweet and innocent smile she often wore when she was still a little girl. Enjoy your transformation. She closed the door and the screaming started. thank you to all of you for listening to the show to all of you who take the time to rate and review the show in itunes and stitcher and every place else and to all of our patreon supporters without your generous contributions it would be nearly impossible to put this show together i want to give a special thank you in this episode to david alt i asked david to read the part of victoria's father pretty much last minute and he did it right away and did a phenomenal job really made the episode special and I really appreciate his help with that. You can hear David's work many other places, but especially in one of our favorites, the No Sleep Podcast. Full show notes with credits, links, and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com. We make other podcasts you might enjoy. Check out thewickedlibrary.com and also ninthstory.com for links to other shows, including the upcoming Carrot Field Chronicles. If you're on social media, you can check us out on Facebook and also on Twitter. And if you'd like to make sure you don't miss future episodes of the show, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, lots of places. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of The Lift, which will be our special crossover episode written by Nelson W. Piles, featuring the librarian from the Wicked Library. <laughs>